Second Bananas is recorded on unceded indigenous land belonging to the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Unceded means that this land was never surrendered, relinquished, or handed over in any way. We support the various strategies that indigenous peoples use to protect their land and their communities, and we commit to working in solidarity with them. We acknowledge that as people living and working on these lands, we are accountable to those who have cared for this land since time immemorial. It is our intention to continue learning how to honor this responsibility. That's the thing. I feel like it was, it had a bit of a, um, psychological impact on me. Oh, big time to have the, like the culture that I embraced as a teenager become so mainstream and diluted and turn into like a bunch of diarrhea yeah. in the course of my early adulthood. You, you just described my fandom with Deadpool. <laughs> oh yeah. Deadpool is a great example of like a really interesting originally a character that was like a parent, like when he was first introduced, he was just like a, a random, like he was a straight up like, villain, like, edge core, yeah. like, like yeah. badass dude. And then yeah. it was like, uh, I can't remember the name of the writer. I think Joe Kelly in the nineties, like turned it him into what been, he yeah. is. And yeah, yeah, I forget. Like I forget the run that cookie. I really like, but it was like, yeah, they were Gail kind Simone of mid, probably. Mid-90s Gail Simone run. did the best run on on Deadpool. For yeah, sure. I can't remember. Why can't I think of the? Anyways, yeah, it's a shame. I was a Deadpool fan. Meanwhile, we're post irony. You can't face me. Just Deadpool. post, <laughs> except except capitalism. So <laughs> yeah, right. Waiting for that um, part to come. Still in. going. Just waiting. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to wait for it. I'm sure it will happen. Right? Mm-hmm. That's right? how these things, yeah. these things go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Woo! You just gotta wait. Just gotta yeah, wait it out. Just gotta wait it out. It all blows over. and Until uh, it all blows and then explosions. Something, something else happens. Um, welcome. Uh, are, we, are we on now? Oh, yeah. We can, we can, we can be on. We can, we can be on. We can roll. Yeah. Okay. Ready. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, welcome to Second Bananas. Welcome. The podcast uh, about the clout behind the clout that you didn't know about. Oh fuck! I almost Until forgot about now. our slogan. Thanks for bringing it back. Uh, yeah, we got a, we got we got two competing slogans. I think we got to use them both. Yeah, you know? I've been forgetting. Uh, we we got to come up with a couple more. Yes. Really, just like really focus test all of them by just having them in the show. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, this is a podcast where we talk about uh, figures in history that are sort of eclipsed by other figures in history or. Maybe just didn't get their due the way they should, um, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. have sort of become less known as time went on. Uh, whatever, totally, just yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm Joe. Hi, I'm Wes. And I'm Craig. Hello. And we're your hosts. We marked our voices, so now you know what all our voices sound like. You know um, us. This episode, we're going to be doing Victor Hara, uh, farmer, theater director, folk singer, and revolutionary. Um, That's a lot of hats. Uh, yeah, uh, all very interrelated, as we'll find out. Uh, Victor is from Chile. He um, is a Chilean uh, musician who sort of, a, he was a contemporary of uh, Bob Dylan, Phil Oaks, uh, the folk movement of the 50s and 60s, 
was not just a U.S. thing. It was actually there were a number of folk movements in that period uh, around the world. And Victor's folk movement was known as La Nueva Canción. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Sounds very good. Which translates, of course, to the new song. And what it was, was it was a folk movement in Latin America that took uh, very traditional folk music of uh, Latin America, both both um, uh, Hispanic and Latin folk music and indigenous folk music. And what it would do is it would take those traditional song forms and, and the, the, the performers would write new songs with um, more modern material and themes in these classical tri- folk forms. Folk forms, is that just like the way the music... Uh, it's like, like a traditional kind of the... what it's what it sounds like i yeah. I didn't do a lot of research into it's it's basically like the folk music folk music is like a, what describes sort of just like a music that a sort of almost like an oral tradition of of like okay. just a, a people or a culture's uh way of sort of making music that is that has very recognizable patterns okay and themes and the point of it is very much to be like a cultural uh glue it's a way to bring communities together and sort of have them all like a folk. The thing about a folk song is like everybody, the the melodies and rhythms are often very simple and it's easy to learn to play them by memory. And the idea is that they're, they're sort of something that anyone can sort of learn. Even, even like a child who doesn't have a lot of musical training can pick them up and, and repeat them hmm. in order. And again, like we talked about like myths and folklore, they're sort of a container for values or a way to sort of transmit culture and traditions right. and ritual. So I guess that makes sense that you'd want it in a format easy to pass on to. Yeah, for sure. Actually, there was sure. it's I like was, a musical meme. Uh-huh. I was yeah. thinking about that. Someone was like, "Oh, like the International uh, is a great song, but it doesn't fucking slap." <laughs> and I was like, "I first off, I disagree. I think the International slaps pretty hard." Um, but uh, the point of that song is again that it has a very simple, repeatable melody. That you can not only remember, you can basically like change the the words that go with it. You and could apply your own reality. That's a very common. Yeah, that's a very common too. feature of folk music too. Is no two artists will perform the song with the exact same words because every artist will change the words a little bit to be more specific to them or whatever, and that's kind of a, another feature. Like, yeah. This is, this might be a stretch, but I feel like there's a bit of a parallel with like, um, football songs. Oh, big time. Like where like every club that you could go to their stadium and watch a match, you would hear the same, like, but they're all singing something different and it's probably crude. It's probably local and like riddled with local references and whatever, but it to the same rhythm and everybody knows all the words right. and it's all super locally kind of contextual i think you're on to something and that's a really nice segue into my next point about nice. not only la, la nueva cancion but uh la nueva cancion was actually throughout a lot of latin america particularly in south america um it but chile it was really sort of mixed in with the the left wing movement that happened then uh I think that was part of the pink, the Latin American pink tide, or was that later? I can't remember what counts as the pink tide. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, um, it was sort of a, a large a part, like La Nueva Cancion came around in the 50s and 60s at the same time as a lot of, of upheavals and social change 
where a lot of leftist governments came into power in Latin America, only to be <laughs> later yeah, it's such cut an inter- down. Interesting dynamic there. Yeah, and um, repeating itself well, again the, and again. The whole tradition, and you know, I'm not entirely clear on the chronology, but like the um, Bolivarian revolutionary yes, yeah, like tone weird. that kind of blankets latin america well it was sort of their their way of of sort of separating their nationalism from uh like like spanish nationalism exactly, and exactly. colonialism and so there's a um, there's a comparison to be made with kind of like the american revolutionary spirit of like absolutely yeah we all came from england or europe thereabouts well and sort but of we're not there anymore and, and sort of seen in that same like if, like fundamentally like built into the pride of the culture for sure in, in the same way that the american revolutions the american revolution is for the u.s well and the and the um acknowledgement that there was no way of ever being able to actualize as a continent or as a you know yeah. half of a continent or as a group of countries without them being able to have their own government yeah develop their own economic bases mm-hmm. um and be able to be kind of sovereign and self. Yeah, hmm. and also a little bit gave rise to sort of not only the left, the the sort of left movements and movements towards democracy or freedom or whatever, um, but also the the sort of tradition of uh, the the Latin American strongman. I think a little bit. I think that's that was sort of the Bolivar was the prototype without becoming the sort of like metastasized right wing version of it that we right. that is is like a tradition and a and a form of like uh politics we see repeating itself not only in Latin but sort of like that was the like the sort of testing ground and the like the, That's where the, the archetype was developed archetype. for sure for that region yeah. absolutely I would definitely agree with that and um, it's and it's super complex too because it's yeah, like a it's savior not... who's also kind of an oppressor and it's really in way, wrapped and it's up like, in oh. machismo as well for sure which again i don't want to say i am any kind of an expert or a person who is able to comment on machismo and macho culture and the way and that kind of stuff because like it is like a very it's an issue that really like should be discussed by the latinx community it's a cultural contingency but it is there yeah, and i just want to sure. make sure we acknowledge it yep. um mm-hmm. again if any uh latin american listeners would like to especially Chileans or other from other uh, Latin American republics that sort of went through these kinds of things. Like I would love to hear their perspectives on it. Very happy to. Please. But so back to La Nueva Canción and Craig's point about like these songs Um, in Chile, uh, Chile's Nueva Canción was so key to um, Salvador Allende, who was the socialist leader that sort of ended up taking power in the in the early 70s um it was so so much a feature of his movement that when he was elected he had a banner above his speech reading you can't have a revolution without songs and that was actually like a slogan that they used like that's how important that music was Mm -hmm. at the time um and victor was very much the face of it in a lot of ways and uh that's where he's sort of I would say the parallels with U.S. folk music and both Bob Dylan and Phil Oaks and even Woody Guthrie are pretty obvious here. Um, they were all folk musicians who sort of became the face of a movement. Um, I think Victor sort of really stuck with the movement and it was really who he was more so than especially Dylan, who I'm sort of comparing him here to. Um, one other little interesting tidbit before we get into Bob Dylan uh, Victor has an asteroid in the asteroid belt named after him. Of course, a Soviet what, astrologer, 
astronomer 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 yeah a soviet astronomer <laughs> named it um that's cool really? uh yeah it's uh i can't remember the exact number but there will be a link in the show notes so is that significant that. that a soviet astronomer named it or? well because they he would have sort of been a an icon in soviet in solidarity culture, especially in in post 73 oh. which we'll get into where um there yeah okay uh victor's story does not have a happy ending and i should probably put a content warning here um this story ends in violence and torture and there is a someone who dies by suicide so if any of those things are difficult for you you may want to make sure you're in a stable place before you listen to this episode or feel free to just skip this episode um whatever you need to do to keep your mental health intact Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's a little bit about Victor before we get into more details about him. So is the asteroid named Victor? It's like there's a number Victor and Yara? then Victor Hara. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, his name is spelled, his last name is spelled J-A-R-A, so, but it is pronounced Hara. Um, not Yara. No, not Yara. <laughs> um, that would be more uh, yeah. Scandinavian. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So... Uh, in comparison, Bob Dylan is, of course, the first name that everyone thinks of when we talk about U.S. folk music, which with good reason, you know, he was sort of one of the faces of it. Yeah, yeah. I think Bob Dylan, Bob there's Dylan. a lot of second bananas to Bob Dylan. For like, sure. Uh, Joan Baez, uh, Phil Oakes, who I think we'll do an episode on eventually, Dave Van Ronk. You know, there's a thousand people that sort of uh, the reason I picked Victor is because I think his story is so so such a nice contrast to bob and it's also it's tragic but it's also beautiful and it's um very implicitly political and i i like that and i'm trying to and also again trying to not just focus on western white men has started started to become a mandate for me not all the time but just like really trying to think outside just like you know u.s celebrities especially yeah i think a lot of people especially when it comes to musicians um are pretty like not just in the u.s but i think like music is such an international thing but when you think about all the artists out there and well not even that like filmmakers too especially now well, who can dominate the market right yeah yes. it's like u.s but, britain and yeah most a lot of because english is the most yeah. It's like second most spoken language in the world and the most spoken in media. It's so it's be... hard to get away from that like juggernaut <clears throat> and especially like like growing up in Canada or like the US or North America in general, it's hard to get away from, or not be sort of like ethnocentric when it comes to like your music yeah. when absolutely like so much yeah. there. Yeah, it's conditioning. Well, especially like if... There's a reason why it is, why English has the hegemony that it has, why Western culture has the yeah. hegemony that it has. Yeah. Cultural yeah. exports. Well, and yeah. furthermore, like music has the added thing of like we heavily in in popular music is all about the lyrics and not just popular music as in like what's what's on the charts. But like like the the sort of Western conception of music is a, a three to five minute pop, like basically pop song or structured song with lyrics that you identify with in some way. And it is hard to identify with lyrics that you don't speak the language of. Yeah um not always but again like yeah yeah so for me that's definitely something that like is but um it's pretty cool cool yeah going back to bob um they victor and bob never met um although victor did work with a lot of u.s folk singers including phil oaks who was a u.s folk singer and socialist um and uh phil is another interesting character i think we'll do an episode about but um 
yeah, they never met. Um, both of them started sort of with an interest in music and folk traditions. Um, and through that kind of was the way they, they got into really into politics with, uh, with Bob Dylan. It was more of a case, his partner, Suze Rodolo that he was living with when he lived in Greenwich village, who was like a, uh, an activist and, and her parents were sort of involved in, I think like labor movement and stuff that was sort of Dylan's intro to it. And, um, again, like, on the other hand, Victor was very much like, um, he came, this is something that, uh, Bob Dylan, as we all know, came from actually a fairly like wealthy background. Um, his parents owned a chain of stores, I think. Uh, he was in a frat in college, stuff like that. Right. Um, bro. Not that that like, disqual disqualifies him from don't talking bro. about of course politics. Not. But, of course but, not. but it's something Chad. interesting. And like also thinking about what happened to Dylan versus Victor almost started less about politics and moved into right. them. Right, yeah. And sure. Bob was very Did much the opposite. The opposite. Yeah. Um, which, whatever. As like an artist, it's not like... But... Um, yeah, it you is know. what it is. So you mean Victor was the opposite? or Victor was very much the yeah, opposite. Right. He started much more personal, and we'll kind of get into that. Yeah. Um, uh, Victor also, uh, again, the, it's interesting because Victor, his mother was partly indigenous, and I'll talk about more of that later. So Victor was partly indigenous too, and he had links to the Mapuche people. Um, and that's sort of like an interesting parallel, I think, too, is like Dylan was, Bob Dylan is Jewish or sort of was, or whatever. I don't know what, what his religion is now, but his cultural background was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to note that uh, white Jews especially have had some degree of success assimilating into white supremacist culture because they can at least pass as a a, a mm. white person, right? Whether that's like, not all the time. And like, I don't want to, like white supremacy yeah. is very much... There's a heavy anti-Semitic component to white supremacy. Oh, yeah, it's making a comeback. Especially explicit white supremacy. It is unfortunately <laughs> so right making now. its uh, a fucking comeback. Um, <laughs> which, uh, you know. Yeah. And, but I think that's an important thing, whereas, like, indigenous people, um, very heavily marginalized. Um, and do not pass Do as not white. pass as white. And especially yeah, do not get a pass. In and the, that's actually a big thing that people, like, like yeah. a lot of people in North America, especially, like, the U.S. and Canada... Uh, don't understand is that white supremacy is very still a thing in Latin Latinx mm. cultures. Oh yeah, yeah no, completely. Uh, is. And in some explicitly so, and in some implicitly so, and like, yeah, um, because the, again, like Latin X is a complicated cultural thing where it's like there are white Latinx people and there are Latinx people of color, right? And there are Black and Indigenous people right. who are also Latinx, and it's right. Well, I think this is, I think this is coming up recently. Like, I don't know if you heard about how uh, uh, Camila Cabello was like, she her old tweets are like coming under fire because she was like apparently was super racist or like very uh, like kind of fired shots at a lot of different ethnicities. And I think she thought she had a pass because she was like Latinx, or she's oh, like seen as like right, Latinx, yeah. and and it's like no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, well, you don't. obviously, but well, and that's something. I mean, the part of the reason I wanted to do this episode is, of course, there have been uh, similar upheavals to what happened in Chile in uh, Bolivia recently, and there was uh, a couple of attempts in Ecuador. Yeah. Ecuador, Venezuela, Venezuela yeah, and, it's uh, been... and then, of course, Chile itself. 
is currently um, sort of facing at the, on the other end of that spectrum where people are ri- working class people are rising up against uh-huh. a very neoliberal government that was put in place after Allende's coup, which again, I don't want to spoil too much, but huh. we'll get into it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's kind of an ongoing like, I think cycle. this is the thing, something that we talk about a lot is like, we give a lot of background on a lot of these people, like their culture and where they're from, because like the stuff that happened in this period that's going to happen to Victor and that happened around Victor is still very much of consequence to Latin America today. For sure. Um, And the stuff that occurred at this time, you know, what, 30, 40 years ago? Yeah. um, Has completely transformed the reality of Chile, for example, Mm -hmm. in the intervening years, right? Yep. And Chileans themselves are pretty torn. People can barely afford to take a subway because wasn't, of rising yeah. costs and that wasn't wasn't that like that the straw the, that broke the camel's yes. back kind of yeah, like they it was rose transit fares transit like, was like no and that was sort of how the the, the uprising started mm-hmm. um yeah yeah uh i again i don't want to get too much into that like other than to to note it and note that it is a it is a consequence of what we are talking about directly so if there's anything i think we want people to take away from this podcast it's the the connectedness of the of history to our modern day and how we can see, I don't want to say patterns or cycles necessarily, but we can see things happening that are consequences. And this, we can see the same th- things happening over and over again if we're in, different, in a different way and with different specifics. But the patterns but are there. The patterns are there sure. and generalities can be seen. So, um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, it's also very, almost shocking how recognizable it is from country to country it's, or for, for one country again and again every like look at haiti like look at venezuela Mm -hmm. like look at iran like these things just keep on getting rehashed every decade or so and Mm -hmm. they have a little bit of a tweak on the whole pr um like machinery a tweak yes but it's really (laughs) it's really ironically not especially like venezuela is a great example where i think it's been so saturated that people just are even the average person is just starting to question because they've heard this like Venezuela argument so many times for sure. They haven't tweaked it enough to make it different. Right. Totally. No, you're absolutely right. And it's, I think in this, um, in the time that we are, uh, living in, it's probably never been more difficult to execute something like that successfully. It's also, I can't help but feel like if it is the right, authentic, like grassroots, legitimate thing, it could be easier than it's ever been. The tools are in place, Mm -hmm. um, but it's just who's wielding them and to what degree of success, I guess, and whether the other conditions that that need to be both sides can, yeah, wield them with, like not using the same channels, but yeah, almost taking completely separate paths, but still be super effective well it's all it's sorry no that's but i was just saying like because in venezuela there's the uh there's like the two presidents right (laughs) right (laughs) well yeah eva so and that's something i think like what i was getting at with the camille cabello thing and the Mm -hmm. anti-indigenous sentiment is bolivia elected its first ever uh indigenous president eva morales and there was a flag and the the people who have been essentially backed and have committed this coup 
some of the 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 interim president specifically has extremely anti-indigenous white supremacist christian tweets like calling indigenous people satanic Mm. saying that the bible will be they they brought a huge bible in you know the police are cutting this there was an indigenous flag created called the the wefala i think i'm pronouncing that right please correct me if i'm wrong um that was actually made a part of uh government workers uniforms and the police who are of course helping with the fucking coup are cutting it off their uniforms right um and there, you know, there's reports. I, I can't, I don't know if they're verified or not. I have heard of there are like right wing gangs going around, especially oh, yeah. targeting indigenous, I've indigenous looking people, which is a, a complicated Yay. thing in itself. But there's, there's a huge anti-indigenous sentiment among the, the more, the white, the white, uh, quote unquote, the, the non-indigenous, more European looking population. Right. There's a, there is a racial hierarchy for sure that exists there's a degree of representation is, is used as a cudgel to for to sure. for to work this coup right so yeah, yeah it's a mess. anyway uh yeah so again bob dylan grew away from politics victor as we will see moves into them that's pretty much right all him. i'm gonna say about bob other than a few facts because i think there's been enough said about bob for several <laughs> lifetimes yeah. uh but victor uh, born in San Ignacio County in Chile around around 1932. Again, there's not there weren't really necessarily records at this time. He probably wasn't born in a hospital. I I don't know the degree whether he had a birth certificate or not. 1932 seems to be the year. I don't know how confirmed that is. Doesn't really matter. Wikipedia confirms it. He was born to a family of farm workers. Um, these would be farm hands, not people that owned the farm. They they were workers that were hired by the farm owners to work on the land. Um, his father uh, put the children to work. Uh, Victor had several brothers and sisters. Instead of sending them to school, which um, I don't like. Uh, it sounds like Victor's father was um, an alcoholic and was violent towards his wife and children. This is the only source we have to go on. This is Victor. I don't see why he would necessarily like completely lie about that. Um, right. But he also there's also this. He says he couldn't he couldn't work to support the family. He wasn't capable of it. Whether that was because of his alcoholism or he didn't want to. Um, Victor, at the very least, clearly had some resentment towards his father, who left when he was a, a child. Um, and it doesn't sound like he was a very it was a very happy home. Again, I don't want to get too much into it. Or say that, you know, there wasn't, Manuel didn't have his own Mm. demons or whatever, but Mm -hmm. he's not really in the picture. Victor's mother, on the other hand, Amanda Martinez, she was the the indigenous link that uh, Victor had. There is a word that gets used similar to Métis in uh, Latin culture, Latinx culture for uh, mixed race, indigenous and European uh, peoples. I... It's, it seems like in some cases it is considered a slur and it's not. So I'm not going to use it. Um, people can look it up. It's on Victor's Wikipedia page. It's on, there's a, there's a whole Wikipedia page on it. There's tons of resources out there. I just, I don't think I want to use it just because mm-hmm. it's just easier not to. Fair enough. Um, but yes, so Amanda had links to the Mapuche people who were sort of that the San Ignacio County was sort of the North part of Chile, which is where these people were from. Um, and, and they, she, and they were pretty prominent across a lot of what is yeah, now Chile yeah. and a lot of 
Western Argentina, and if not more. I believe, I don't want to say that Mapuche, not all of them would call themselves the Mapuche people necessarily. They each, there's, there were different nations within that. Absolutely. That would have their own names for themselves. Um, it's just an umbrella term that I'm going to use because it's not like a huge, I think it's also the word for their language, which will be important uh, later. So, um, but that was sort of Victor's link to indigenous people. Um, Amanda was a self-taught musician. Um, she could play piano and guitar and sing. And mostly what she did was that was she would play very traditional folk songs that were, you know, weddings, funerals, community events. And that's really where folk music was sort of a part of. It wasn't like mm -hmm. Nueva Canción's um, uh, sort of innovation was to just write new material like to base in these traditional forms, but write material that wasn't just sort of like a, a community song or whatever, right? Right. Um, so she was the one that sort of taught Victor how to play a little bit. Um, she was of course, a single mother working to support multiple children. Uh, not always the easiest thing to balance. It does sound like she worked more than she was able to take care of the children there. She had a community, um, to help her raise them, but she was not necessarily able to be as present as she probably would have liked, but it does sound like she really cared about them because after her husband left, she took the kids and went to Santiago, which is a city, and uh, she worked multiple jobs and said, you kids got to go to school. So Victor attended Catholic school pretty dutifully, and that meant he would see less of his mother. But it sounds to me like he at least had a very strong connection with his mother, um, that he at least respected her and probably as an adult saw her in a lot more sympathetic light than when he was a teenager, right? Was right. able to have some distance and appreciate yeah. what and, she had And done. especially with his yeah. politics and, and probably understand just how hard it was for her. Um, so while they're in Santiago, um, a neighbor apparently noticed Victor's musical talent and started giving him free guitar lessons. Score. Um, really cool. And I think like something that will come into play a lot is people recognizing Victor's natural talent. And it sounds like Victor was very, he was very handsome. He, he does. was a charmer. He, he, had, he was very charismatic. He's very easygoing and like friendly. Sorry, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page right now. He's definitely got like a Bruce Springsteen vibe. Yeah. Going and on that's actually, um, <laughs> again, awesome. like, where do you think Bruce Springsteen got it? Uh, no offense. <laughs> Bruce no, Springsteen, yeah. the boss, love him. Yeah. Um, but that's a very, um, that's a very like common look for this type of musician. Right. Um, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Is good looking dude. Totally natural. Um, so Amanda died when Victor was only 15, which, uh, pretty rough. And yeah. when he was sort of seeking counseling from a priest, and obviously that would be a big part of Chile's culture, is priests mm -hmm. being sort of a, um, a almost like a, an advisor and a counselor and sort of a someone you consulted very much so on life and right. choices and stuff. And the, the priest counseled him to enter um, seminary. <sighs> Victor didn't like seminary. He didn't <laughs> like the celibacy especially. And... Ah. Um, his wife kind of said that he sort of entered entered seminary that he told her it was sort of to seek a love that would compensate a love from God that would compensate for the lack of human love in his life with both of his parents gone. Um, mm. I think that's an interesting thing. And I think it's, but he did not like, he did not like the celibacy. Um, he, he, um, except the only part he really liked of seminary was the music, which he was very good at. Um, 
he also apparently said that um, one of the things they were told to do when they kind of got all horned up <laughs> uh, was to whip themselves and take cold showers. Oh, yeah. Which tracks for the Catholic Church in the 30s and 40s. So and that's, beat, beat the horniness out of you. Yeah, yeah. just, be, just drown it. Just drown lash it the horniness out of you. <laughs> well, at the age of, what, 16, 17, late yeah. teens? Yeah. You're going to be doing a lot years. of showering yeah. and whipping. <laughs> a ton of showering. Like, yeah, well, I think that's how, that's how people develop cakes. Totally. I'm starting to like this. Well, and from what I know about, you know, performer audience dynamics too. I mean, oh, you're just asking for true. trouble. Well, also like, um, you know, perform. I, I don't want to get too much, but performers and seeking mm-hmm. love because they didn't have it. Right. As yeah, a exactly. teen is, we got uh, layers. We got some layers. We got, we got a lot of layers here. Um, but mm-hmm. so he he left the seminary and really really traded up and went into the military (laughs) um apparently Mm -hmm. he did really well in the military um he was praised for his leadership qualities which i think we'll see are important later he was promoted to sergeant first class which i think is interesting he was not an enlisted officer he was a non-com he was an he was uh or no he was not he's not a commissioned officer he was an enlisted man that's what i'm thinking right um and sergeant would sort of be the closest thing to like a foreman or a shop steward situation, which is, I think, something important. But he did leave the military, um, I think, around in his early 20s, maybe mid-20s. Do we know if he... Did he have to go into combat or anything, or is this... I I don't know how much... There really... There's not a lot of details about his his life. Again, like, there's... I'm really finding that's the interesting thing about uh, these second banana things, especially when they are not... their, Their primary language isn't our language, Mm. uh google translate shits the bed a lot <laughs> right i read a lot of spanish articles i had a <laughs> lot of trouble finding like more personal details there was a lot of very dry biographical facts which i think fine of course that's what wikipedia does but right there's a lot of stuff that we can sort of like read between the lines but ultimately we're just guessing yeah no i was just more wondering like if he would have had like regrets about his time served in the military or anything like he, that. he definitely may have an i i considering what happens with the military going forward i wouldn't be surprised if he saw some things some currents and some political ideologies there that he did not Mm-hmm. agree with or at least was not comfortable with even if he wasn't he didn't seem to be very very politically active at this point or very like like right. class conscious or anything but he was finding out what he didn't like yes exactly <laughs> so he Helping comes, him gravitate towards his true calling he does yeah. not no. he's like no nah, i don't really like this weird churchy uh, fascist well, authority worship yeah. going on here too gunny <laughs> i don't think he had a pro- anyway yeah um but Yes, he went back to Santiago, and he auditioned and was accepted into the University of Chile Choir. Again, love of music. Ooh, nice I think voice. that was the big thing in the seminary that he really enjoyed, too. And Same. what that gave him was an opportunity to go back to northern Chile, where he was, his, his and his birthplace, San Ignacio, in that area, and study the region's folk music, which would have been very heavily indigenous-influenced. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... Um, that was sort of his beginning, the beginning of his love affair with music. His other love was theater. He joined a mime group, of all things, in in uh, college. That's a thing. Uh, oh, big time! You, uh, <laughs> miming is, dude. Miming and clowning. You can take whole. There's schools. I've heard of clown in college. Countries. Clown college, mime. There are there are schools of mime. 
there are different schools of thought on how to mine. Wow. It's uh, if you I if you ask most, uh, especially yeah. like there's the rope theater performers. There's the rope. There's, there's the, the glass. Window. There's uh, whether or not you paint your face, <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> If right. you ask, uh, if you ask any like performance degree, like especially like theater people with theater degrees, they'll probably have taken at least one mime or clown class, if not multiple ones, because it really teaches you how to use your physical form right. in well, order to. Yeah, I know some of the greatest comedians have done. Oh, it, like... big time! Well, Jerry Lee, Jerry Lewis, the French one, Jerry Lewis, you... Glavin, the guy that Glavin, that Professor Frank is based on. Um, the French, he's a French actor. I think Jerry French. Lewis. I did he, not know he was French. I think Jerry Lee Lewis he is the musician. Yes. Wait. He was, he was, he started as a, a mime and a clown. That was where, that was his origin. And is mime, yeah. sorry, this is a beginner level question. <laughs> is mime short for pantomime? Mm -hmm. You're correct. Mm -hmm. Good job. Nice. Craig, you get a prize. But if you go to. More like pantomime is long for mime. Right. Yes. Okay. Accurate. Um, yeah. But if you go to like. East Van Panto. There's lots of words. There's no miming whatsoever. Oh, because really? the mime part. I so think why is, is why are they using uh, the Panto thing? I don't. Uh, yeah. I don't know where they separated. Again, I'm not an expert on this. Mimes. Hey, mimes. Give us a give us a shout. <laughs> or I guess you can't. Or Pantos. Oh, no. Ooh. Pantos. Yeah. <laughs> hey, East Van Panto. Yeah. Can you just uh, pop by our no name podcast and uh, yeah, we would love to have person. anyone from East Van Panto as a guest on the show. By the way. If you are listening and yes. you work for East Van Panto, please, please come on and tell us your favorite. We'll figure Panto out second, second bananas. Banana. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I think we'll yeah, make it, we'll make it happen. Um, but uh, I, he didn't spend much time in the mime group. But what he did do there was befriend um, students who were more wealthy than he was. Um, who, help, mm -hmm. I say, I I sort, right. sort of shortened it to help him out materially. They literally bought him nice clothes so he could do more auditions and. Um, encouraged him to apply to the university theater program That's and nice. help, i think they really helped him sort of realize his potential um For sure. and again i think we see a pattern here of, of someone recognizing his talent and maybe being charmed by him maybe he was maybe he was kind of a climber you know maybe he had to be in order to get maybe he maybe this is sort of mythologizing and he was like oh i want to be in the university theater program i'm going to befriend this rich dude and Make him buy me clothes. I don't know, right? Like, I don't, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like... No, exactly. you got to make the decisions that you when make. When you live in poverty, yeah. you have to make some pretty... Uh, what's the word? Pragmatic decisions, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and again, so he does apply to the university theater program and doesn't really do great on the reading portion. Not a big book guy, not a big book mm. learner, but he mm. has enough talent and skill to get a scholarship and get into the university program for theater. Of nice. course, he started gravitating toward plays with social themes. Um, one of his favorites was the lower depths, which is a, a play by Maxim Gorky, who was of course, uh, not only a playwright, but a member of the Bolshevik party and a close friend of Vladimir Ilyevich Lenin. Okay. So this so is where we to start to see influence is coming in yes yeah you can see where Soviet. russia today is 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 uh tricking victor with bots on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's oh, yeah. how this works okay right? yeah, yeah. No, um, i see it but i think just this was sort of there was a in nueva cancion was very tied up with leftist and marxist politics mm -hmm. uh, not everyone who did it was explicitly political but it was a very like 
working class form of music. And of course, those politics are going to be there. Um, then around 1957, he meets Violeta Parra, who is a founding member of La Nueva Canción. And Violeta is, I think, a good second banana to Victor. So we will do an episode on her as well. Cool. Um, She doesn't seem to be have been as explicitly political as Victor. I think she was much more focused on the music. But Hmm. one of her big acts was very political and very um, working class centered. She established these musical community centers called Pinas, which translates to a rock. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Pinas. Pinas. They're called like literally just means rock. Like as in I think like not between a rock and a hard place, but sort of like someone's rock being someone's rock. Uh And they were um, community centers that would basically have these Nueva Canción performers tour. It was basically a place for these touring performers to play and incorporate folk music into the everyday life of Chile. It's like, it was really a mission to get folk music into the, the popular culture of, just your average Chilean who probably doesn't have a lot of money, um, just gets off work, wants to have a beer and hear some songs. But, you know, there's there's an implicit, you know, this is a way we can get political messages into someone without, you know, being didactic or preachy. For sure. Um, I don't know how much of that was intentional or if she was just really just loved folk music and wanted everyone to do it. Maybe it was both. Either way, it's ingenious. She's going to be a very interesting um, figure to do. I don't want to do too much on her because we're going to do a whole episode about her and I want to keep it focused on Victor. But Victor just was sort of her 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 protege for a while. And uh, he, through learning from her about folk music... He joined a folk group called uh, Kunkumen or Kunkumen. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but it is a Mapuche word, which means the murmur of water. And that was sort of to continue his explorations of music. What a great name. Yeah. Um, so he's still mostly involved in theater at that point. His day job is uh, as a stage director at the Theater Institute of the University of Chile, basically a professor who is sort of like really like mounting plays. Of course, he loves freak plays with political content, very much focused on that. Um, and through the theater and various other sort of like, you know, theatrical and fine arts departments, he meets Joan Turner Bunster in 1961. She was an English dancer who was married to a Chilean ballet star whose name I could not find. I could not find anything about who this guy was. He was clearly big enough to have gone international and married an English woman. And I don't know if she came to Chile and met this ballet star there. Not super important, but uh, just another interesting note about how hard it is to find information on Latin American countries in English. Hmm. Right. Um, They were already, their marriage was already on the rocks. They had a young, like an infant child. Um, She did divorce him well before her and Victor got together. They were friends, apparently. Again, this is all according to her. I don't know how much of this is her making herself look much more culturally appropriate for the time. Uh Uh, She, I don't, I, again, like most of the information I I found was basically from her writing and interviews and stuff that was, you know, Wikipedia had a lot of sources that basically led back to her. So Mm. I I think there's definitely some mythologizing going on, but I think it's all well-intentioned and I'd, I don't see a lot of reasons for her to lie other than to sort of like just, you know, make him a bit more of maybe of a hero. But he was like, there's also, you know, it's barely necessary. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, and again, Joan and Violetta, sort of the two big women in Victor's life, I think both deserve um, second banana episodes of their own. So cool. we'll get into that. But <clears throat> um, how are we doing? How are we doing, guys? You got any questions? I feel um, I don't want to clip along too fast. No, not at all. Um, it's absorbing most of it. Stands out to me that Joan is kind of in her element in this oh, university academic world mm-hmm. um you know a trained dancer uh, ex-spouse of a dancing star yeah and you know clearly like bourgeois yeah. plus <laughs> and um you know not at all victor's background so yeah, they're, they're the kind of too. they're kind of an odd couple odd couple on, on the surface um, her story one of her stories about when they when she got she got really sick and she had to, she had to be hospitalized and he came to see her in the hospitals and his, she has this story about how he brought her flowers and she's pretty sure he like ripped them up from a public flower bed because he couldn't afford to buy flowers. Right. So oh, no. about the counts. Um, I don't think he was, I don't think uh, he, Victor ever really saw any real like financial gain. I think he was cared for and like he was, he was, his needs were met at mm. this point, but I, it really seems like he was not about riches and partly that was probably because of the way his politics developed. But also just like he sort of just barely had become a star when all the shit went down. For sure. Right? So, for sure. But um Yeah, his real fame came um uh yes, after, and his music was not widespread until after his death. So for um sure. in nineteen sixty two he leaves Concumin and he inspired by Violetta, he starts writing his own songs. Um they start off more personal and autobiographical, which uh again there's a lot of implicit politics in singing songs about being poor and about being the son of a farmer. But um, what he found was as he performed in the Pinas that, that Violetta had created, he would meet Chileans and learn of their struggles and learn more, I think, about politics. And uh, his songs started to reflect that, too, and started to reflect that he was be- developing a very specific form of politics. And uh, very left wing, um, very, very informed by Marxism and communism and socialism. And this was still very much the, this is under the, um, sorry, what was the, the president's name? Right Allende, yeah, Allende hadn't been elected. Allende, Allende, been elected. Allende so, gets elected in the late 60s. So okay, the so it's not quite would as. would have essentially been. Uh, it's leaning right right now, but it's not as far right as it's going to get kind of thing or. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I didn't look into the exact situation. I it would be much more. It would be a, a very like, I don't want to say um, uh, neoliberal. It like, this was the sixties, so like it was definitely a period of change, and like governments were sort of falling away. But I again, there wasn't an explicit like hard right tone to the government. It was at this time. I okay. think it, I think it was definitely further right than Allende because it's impossible for it to not be. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. And then further, and, and probably and further think, left than Pinochet because again, pretty hard not to be. <laughs> but it, but more importantly, right. um, friendly to U.S. interests. Okay, because because that's going to become very important. Right. In how okay. Pinochet overthrows Allende. Okay. Yeah. Because um, that's what I was wondering about the juntas or the, the, the juntas. juntas. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> yeah. the foot. There, okay. That's the toe that gets stepped on yeah. in right. the Allende election. Yeah. So, sure. so that's the thing is, um, we're almost there. So, yeah. Um, so, um, that's the other thing. So, in 1966, he releases his first album, 
It's called Canto a lo Humano, which I think means either I sing to the humans or I sing to humanity or I sing for humanity, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I like, sing I sing of the human. I sing of the human, yeah. Um, pretty, pretty, not explicitly political, but a very, uh, a, there's a lot of implied things like in I, that statement. I sing of human issues i think of human things and i think like interestingly not only um human issues politically but the first single was called la biata which was a traditional comic song um again i think i think something that (laughs) was really lost in um sort of uh ussr soviet uh being the main source of of the the sort of like the biggest cultural fountain of socialism and and leftism or communism is like it was very serious and like it's interesting that victor's first song was comedic and i think that's something that the left is rediscovering Mm. and really using to its advantage in modern day especially irony and like really like like absurdity and and sort of like absurdism in the in the classical sense of like the world is absurd and I am pointing that out not only to say something about the world, but in a way to laugh at the world and to laugh at the, the just horrible absurdity of, of life. Yeah. Um, Plus one thing that fascists hate is people laughing at is them. people making fun of stuff yeah. and them, particularly them, but yeah. completely and utterly unable to make fun of themselves. Yep. Too. Big time. Um, Which seems kind of like it's lacking humanity. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Like, it's it's weird. It's almost as if fascism is bad. Yeah, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's almost as if we can come out and make the strong statement that fascism is, is bad. Hey, and man, blamed. I don't know. <laughs> Let's not take too many hard lines. Um, we can take that one. Yeah. <laughs> so in. his first song is a comic song about a girl who has a crush on the priest she goes to confession for. Um, very, very, very fraught subject, especially uh, in very think, divisive yeah. subject on like very much like a subject that will split audi- like Latin American audiences oh, yeah. down the middle. It's that like, sounds literally wild. like again, like a, and deliberate. This was clearly a deliberate choice by him. Again, considering his history, his dislike of of cel- the celibacy vow. Right. This yeah. could very well be based on a life situation. That sure. He had, no. Right? And he's clearly being provocative. And mm-hmm. and and also like very like um, I think I think great. I think like like maybe a little crude and a little like you know heteronormative, but in a way that's sure. very like honest and playful. And you know like what's wrong with a girl having a crush on a priest? And right. what's wrong with a cre- a priest having a crush on a woman? Yeah, an appropriate age for him. Especially have you, you know? seen, have you seen Fleabag? I have, I have not seen Fleabag. <laughs> the priest is hot, but I know she uh, doesn't. She <laughs> also like jack off to Obama in it. Or oh like yeah, an Obama Obama's speech, on her list. Which, like, yeah, frankly, who hasn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, did that you tan, see that mic drop? That tan suit. Oh, <laughs> a tan suit. Um, Yikes. Uh, so it was banned from radio and record shops, which of course. Um, enraged the conservative half of the chilean country but uh that actually sort of gave him a cachet with the growing left wing oh yeah and made him like the cool guy who like pissed off the right wing douchebags he's like he's like bad boy now um yeah and a sexy bad boy and like you know i'm sure people knew he probably maybe at this point who saw his album and learned about him knew that maybe he was a former priest and that maybe turned on some girls who liked the idea of this song you know some boys too i don't know some other genders (laughs) i'm sure um 
so and then interestingly the year after he released his first album violetta para died by suicide she shot herself and mm. i could not find a single thing about victor's reaction or thoughts on this and i don't know why mm. i just there's nothing in english articles even in articles about violetta there's very little about what their relationship was beyond music i don't know if they were like I think to I think she was sort of almost like a rock star to him in a way and like she he learned a lot from her but I don't know how like personally close they were mm. um or even how much like face to face interaction they had beyond her just like being like hey you're good do this do <laughs> be that, a part of right? this thing yeah join me right like so I wonder yeah well that's kind of sad it, and for sure and another reason why I think we should do a Violeta Parra episode. Dig into some right. of that. There's a there's sure. actually a, a Latin a, a, a Spanish language film about her, so that would be interesting. For but sure. uh, yeah, so by this point, um, post uh, his first album, he's openly communist. Um, makes trips to Cuba and the Soviet Union. Eventually joins the Communist Party. I still don't know if that's the Chilean Communist Party. Or the intern, I I think it's the International Communist Party, which would have existed at this point. I mean, um, it's, it's all about the International it's, Communist. It's Party. all about the International <laughs> Communist Party. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and again, a lot of his songs were about the poverty he grew up with, which I think is really important. Again, I think like an interesting comparison between him and Dylan. He grew up extremely poor. He grew up extremely like like just like had a really fucking hard life as a kid you know and uh you know maybe that's that's sort of the the big difference between bob and victor is that victor really knew what it was like to be oppressed or at least to be marginalized by circumstance and bob didn't and like not again like there are i'm sure there are a thousand poor musicians who don't want to specifically speak about politics in their music sure but it's just it's just an interesting parallel and another reason i picked bob over say Phil Oaks or Woody Guthrie, who were more explicitly political throughout their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in nine, so nineteen sixty nine, he doesn't. He writes a song called um, uh, "Preguntas por Puerto Montt," which is uh, questions about Puerto Montt. It's a town where a government official ordered police to attack squatters. the The song really hit a nerve and. Then that official who the song was about was assassinated. Ooh, and this is definitely wow. where we start to see Holy this, shit. this, the, the left versus right wing is really heating up in Chile. Wow. And yeah, that's basically um, incitement. Almost, I wonder what he right? thought yeah. about that. Like knowing. Well, that and I want, and you wonder if it was because of his song and yeah. it probably was like yeah. in a way, like even if not directly, like it would have put that more into the zeitgeist. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't help but think that, the attack on the squatters would probably provoke a response itself. Because were they? But the song we know if they were actually, wouldn't help. Yeah, were they deter like that attacking them or like? Well, obviously them... there was already sort of like animosity between right wing and conservative. Like we can see that even going back to his first album, sort of. There's already that culture war going on there over, uh, uh-huh. um, uh, politics over right versus left. Right. But I bet that um, there's a growing. It's again like. I mean, there is a parallel to what's going on today, not only in Latin America, but in North America, in Europe. Like, we're seeing a more, again, like a more polarized, people are polarizing 
to one end of the the left right spectrum or whatever you want to call it or not and not understandably so i'm not saying that like i don't i think it's stupid and everyone should be a fucking centrist because I'm, I'm i'm i think i've made my fucking <laughs> politics pretty explicit at this point yeah um i i think one side is right and one side is wrong but um but i see why like and it's happening and i think what we're seeing is a very similar situation and that was happening in the 60s as well oh for sure and a lot of the themes uh, a lot of the nuance and complexity that inform people's positions on that spectrum are so complex like if you were from a family with a religious background if you were from a family that has european heritage as opposed to indigenous heritage or if your family depending on what you know for your your anecdote before we started um about where your family works and what their politics are and what their values are so there's all these different things feeding into kind of what your you know what your position is where you stake your flag in this whole thing it's a muddy situation things are kind of shifting around too Mm -hmm. and you're like hmm am i determining where my politics lie in terms of where i'm going to cast a vote or whether or not i'm going to join this protest or whether or not i'm going to condemn this musician or or whatever yeah yeah based on my religious upbringing and the values that i have from that when this you know this artist has kind of dissed my my religion a little bit or like kind of has has brought up some uncomfortable questions about you know maybe that doctrine or or whatever so many different things inform people's positions and in you know in latin america there is such a strong tradition of um like religion of of catholicism yeah as well that and on and interestingly on both sides of that political divide absolutely absolutely very much on both sides absolutely like even and even the the so clergy where does that was line, divided yeah where does that line get drawn right, right? Yeah. and and how who yeah. who's making the decision to go this way or that way yeah. on that within that one intersectional kind of structure it's mind-boggling yeah well, and I think um, that actually Victor was beaten up by right wing thugs for uh, it, what it sounds like is what is implied in what I read is it's sort of the, at this point. The, yeah, again, like if people are willing to if, if a government official is ready to send police to beat up squatters and then someone is willing to assassinate that government official, things have already gotten past the point where things people are, escalating. are talking things out. Nobody's yeah. sitting down and being like, guys. We yeah. just need all need to calm down and talk this out. Yeah. You know, nobody is because you can't at this point. Like it's, it's again, like there's it's not terrifying. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, again, like, right. The truth is violence. Uh, and the, the use of violence is a, is more complex than a lot of mainstream discourse likes to admit. Um, and yeah, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta cut a bitch. You know? um, well, I imagine this was like a kind of, I was hoping uh, more people would laugh at that, but I can see why people didn't. <laughs> well, I would I, cut no bitches. I'm just thinking this must have been a, like almost a a point of no return, or like uh, at least if I was in his position, I'd be thinking like, do I, like well, clearly he sees that his music has power and it's reaching people. Oh, I think big at time, this point, big time. And yes. so now we're seeing like, wow, people are really taking this to heart so much so that they're like, you know, they're killing officials that are oppressing them. It's like, does he yeah. move forward and keep? doing this and perhaps incite more of this type of thing or do well and you know maybe do i scale it back and i think what you do also see is because not only is victor realizing he's got a larger audience than just 
local Chileans and like, yes, he's writing these songs that are like very specific situations. Like they are current events discourse. He's also got songs like prayer for the laborer. Um, uh, he, he performed Venceremos a lot, which is a, a Chilean traditional song. He didn't write it. He wrote his own lyrics for it, but it's basically, we will overcome, we will be victorious it's a left-wing song about... He's propagandizing. Yeah, and he's, he, and he's recognizing that not only war. can he specifically target small things, he can, inspire, he can inspire people to come together over positive things. And I think it's interesting that you say that now. Like, what did he think of that? And, like, did that affect his music? So he went, was more like, you know what? I don't want to, like, necessarily call people... Out. Like, maybe he was like, I don't want people to be, like, killed for, like, what I'm doing. I want to bring people yeah. together. So I want to specifically write more positive songs that are about us coming together and like mm, right. he also was a huge fan of pablo neruda he set a lot of pablo neruda's poems to music beautiful um mm. yeah right like and that's such an interesting thing i always i always think like neruda is so like sort of like a, a pop like he's not like roomy or anything but he's very much like a, a poet that people see as this like very internal reflective reflective romantic yeah. uh but he, he at the time he was like he had he had a stance he had politics and uh he was like involved in these two things to a certain degree and what's clearly the, what's the famous thing that he wrote pablo neruda uh just a whole shitload of poems oh, okay. i don't i don't i'm not a yeah, pablo no, neruda i wasn't specialist. sure if he I, had written novels or anything I mostly like that know i just him know from uh, i know him like by how name, i met mostly. your mother but <laughs> oh. no definitely prolific but yeah. i would be hard pressed okay to like I just know the name. I couldn't think of it. Pablo Neruda fans, get at us. Yeah, please. <laughs> Secondbananaspod at gmail.com. Don't um, shame us. So this is like 1969, 1970. This is the, the flashpoint because Salvador Allende, um, look him up. Uh, if you don't, if you don't know who Salvador Allende is, I'm not going to get into it too much other than he was a socialist politician who was elected in 1970 in Chile. And that was a big oh shit moment for capitalists, mm. um, especially U.S. capitalists who had financial interests in Chile. Um, so Salvador Allende is uh, elected. I, I don't know how how much I, I it sounds like I don't know if it was a landslide or like a it, it sounds like he had very pop. He very much had popular support, at least enough to get elected, which you know, could be 58%, right. could be 75%. I don't know. That's something that I don't want to get into too much, but he won the election. He won the election. <laughs> he had a very strong base, like a lot of pop, like left-wing politicians do now. A mobilized base. A mobilized base yeah. that were not only active in electoral politics, but also labor politics, uh, protests, that kind of stuff, which is kind of what you need to get elected if you're a socialist. Mm, yeah. Because they were coming with Pinochet. Uh, was there... Uh, more left-leaning before him or was it you mean allende no i mean like because who was it sorry who is it before allende like who's uh, i'm not sure I, I but he was oh, not okay. he, was he was not, not more left-leaning left. he would have been okay. more center, center. probably rightish like yeah okay um like a real uh uh what's the guy who john Kerry? i guess is like a probably or like a yeah i don't know but, but I, I should stop comparing silly this putty to, with a suit i'm always on. complaining when we're like we're like comparing like like, like, like poets to pop stars so I, i'll just i appreciate it um so salvador and is elected and victor and joan are kind of sort of faces of this movement along with Allende. like victor is playing victor is explicitly playing not only at Allende's campaign rallies, but also at 
he's donating his time he's canvassing he's like essentially like part of the the left movement beyond just like electoral politics like he's doing free concerts for not only Allende but for workers for strikes for that kind of stuff um and yeah they there's sort of this cultural renaissance for a few years as chile nationalized their industries they you know um sort of like really were pushing like a socialist a very like market friendly socialist agenda but still like something quite radical for especially not only latin america but the world at the time and i think the crucial or one crucial distinction is that market friendly but um focused on chileans and indigenous yes, populations and as opposed to you know the interests in, of the imperial networks and imperial networks totally uh being a a resource economy for more developed nations was not a big thing on their list what <laughs> and <laughs> they want to help course, out those big developed nations that did not sit well with a lot of people god damn it so they had three cool years, I guess. Cool. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were racked with unrest and violence and counter protests and all that stuff. Well, from what I understand, there was a lot of, and it's attributed to different things depending on who you talk to, but there were a lot of exactly what you were describing, a lot of programs and policies that were being um, rolled out and being actualized. And there was a lot of pushback and a lot of counter organizing by the conservative yeah part, some of i'm portion and of, again, popula- like, of the population i don't want to throw stones i don't know if it was necessarily as grassroots as uh or yeah you know i'm I not mean, saying that there was an actual honest sentiment there like clearly there is or they wouldn't the, have been able to get a foothold yeah, but, but the representation was largely or at least a lot more middle class a lot more affluent, a lot yeah. more educated, and a lot more European, a lot less indigenous, mm-hmm. impoverished, Absolutely. and marginalized. And a lot of the hay that was made by the media of the day, which was big surprise, or by most of the media of the day, which was owned by the more affluent bourgeois population in mm-hmm. the society, um, f- the media focused a lot on the, um, the lack of things. Yes, so the cues that you needed to go um, and submit to if you wanted to get everyday things like toilet paper, the whole, you know, that whole chestnut <laughs> with you, you can't get the shit that you want when you need it because uh-huh. it's socialism. And it was not clear whether it was actually a mismanaged centralized economy that would be, you know, kind of representative of socialism being implemented, or if it was the supply chain of all of these things being sabotaged to make the socialist project. Well, and again, I don't, like it was a gong show. I don't know. Like, I think, um, I think there was a lot of, um, among the leftists, there was a lot of very, um, uh, you know, just like, there was probably a lot of just like, beautiful sentiment and stuff like that but maybe they just weren't prepared for the kind of assault that they were going to face maybe they just didn't have the tools to counteract it either right like especially once the u.s got involved and could basically pour government funds into fucking with this movement it's like such a thing that socialist movements have to think about is like not only how to counteract that but also just like 
actually provide an alternative to it beyond just like, hey, we got some pretty songs and we said we're going to na- and we're nationalizing industries. For like, sure. Can we counteract like can we actually solve these problems with what we're doing? Well, then you when know? you're facing a pugilistic foe, are they going to react positively to your smiles and handshakes and hugs? Yeah. No, you're going to have to pull a gun on them and shoot them the way yeah. that they would pull a gun and shoot you. And yet, as soon as you do that, you abandon abandon your higher ground. You're the the violent thugs that are. You abandon your moral authority. Especially like this is like this is again post Stalin, post. So there's already a reputation. Yeah. So socialism has become the Cold War is. And this is like yeah post I think like post or still kind of the tail end of, of the the purge of communists and leftists among right basically all levels of u.s any sort of u.s uh any sort of influence basically so the stigma around the red scare and everything these are the it's like the the days when it's being formed it's like Mm -hmm. but it is actually documented that the the approach in terms of uh outside intervention in chile was with the objective of making the economy scream yeah. And that was what would lead, that was what would lay the groundwork for the military coup. So it was so, an explicit policy. Thanks I'm for spoiling. Sorry if I jumped in. <laughs> I was, I, I don't know, it's really a spoiler. Uh, a little like, preview. <laughs> so 1973, the Chilean military stages a coup. Again, this is after coup. years of agitating, coup, building, coup. building a coalition of various soci- socially and in economically conservative uh forces that not only the military but you know like again like the middle class the bourgeois the owning class people who had a had a stake in seeing the old foreign business foreign businesses and yes the u.s was fucking had their fucking greasy fucking dirty colonial hands all over this shit international Um, telecom i think was one of the big companies uh, ah yes see this is this is the part that this is where I get, I get really this, this, this. The, I'm hoping this will make everybody that is listening angry. And I'm already getting get angry. I'm already when I talk ready. About I'm this. ready to get angry. Um, I'm gonna try not to be too, too, let too. I'm gonna try and just like let the. I think, I think the reason I get so angry is because a lot of these facts just stand for themselves and how fucking awful this was. Like, so the, the U.S. Flow. performed Operation Condor, as it is known, Sweet which was. Name. It was. It is a sweet fucking name, unfortunately. <laughs> U.S. That is one thing that military culture has going for it. Is it? It, it sounds fucking cool, and that's they always rec- a problem. With it. Fascists, fascists are very image conscious, and they're very fucking good mm-hmm. at it. And, and that's a very important yeah. to like to that's fascist movements is the aesthetic, mm-hmm. and they're not always exactly the same. But there's a lot, and like fascist imagery is everywhere in popular culture. Not only in like pop culture, fascists, but like we literally see like crusader and fascist imagery in, incorporated into fashion and culture at all levels yeah. it is i see crosses everywhere yeah well crosses <laughs> and like the iron cross specifically was a symbol of violent religious violence then colonial violence then fascist violence mm-hmm. and now it's used to sell motorbikes to say, rich fuckers in california i feel other clothing lines and have it's weird how rich fuckers in northern too. california keep turning out to be fucking fascists is all i'm saying <laughs> weird. Is, again sorry weird um, so so operation condor um 
It backed a number of violent coups against a number of left-wing governments that had come into power. I don't know if all of them were even as radical as Allende. I, I think some of them were more so and some of them were less so. But Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Paraguay, Bolivia, and parts of Peru. And it, a lot of those are... Is Chile as resource-rich as some of those other countries? Like Argentina, for sure. But I'm trying to like figure out what the U.S.'s like main stake in this was was just preventing the spread of of socialist communists. There was, there was I feel bit, like it was a domino domino theory kind of thing. But they okay. do have it a lot a big of domino theory. There's a lot of mining because I feel like Chile and probably I mean, is maybe, but it's like a huge just coastal like even just country, mm-hmm. military right? industrial complex is right. another big thing. Is like America has to keep waging war in yeah, order to justify huge military budgets. I guess this was We're seeing that. this was then when that really chugged into okay. like over. So this was them like just looking for a new. I mean, way that's to how America built going. its dominance also, was World War Two. That was where that birth. That was, was what birthed this. It should right. be noted that there wasn't direct military support for the Chilean coup. Yes, it was very it was like covert. Mostly kinda, the CIA yeah. and, was CIA and it was it was also. Puppet Time. A lot of yeah. just like facilitating military forces in all right. those different countries, working basically right. helping them work with each other, giving them equipment, organizational them support, training, logistical training yeah. to fucking torture people. Like this yeah, was not just like a yay. hey, we're gonna give you some radios and some guns. This was like hey, here's how to like stick reeds under someone's fingernails. Here's how to extract false false confessions. Here's, I mean. The, the another stuff. link I'm going to provide is uh, the School of the Americas Watch, which I think is now called something else. Amazing. I was just about to mention um, School of the Americas, yeah, but because, I didn't want to. That, which, again, was fair. founded previously. It's basically a school to teach Latin American dictators how to take over. To teach dictators how to take over a smaller nation that... A, a, a small... I don't want to say undeveloped, because that's really fucking Western of me. It's basically a, a, a manual, a, a place to train soldiers for dictators. Yeah, the counter-revolutionary training. Yeah. Cool. Is it hard to get in? If you're... <laughs> uh, not if you're a violent thug. Ask Guido. Okay. Yeah. Just <laughs> Good to know. Um, it's, been, it's called something else now, but the School of the Americas Watch is the organization that basically tracks that and what they're called. They, this is the thing about these thing, these these schools. Like, Not only School of the Americas is like the government, the actual government one. Blackwater is sort mm-hmm. of based off School of the Americas' model. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they're now called Academy or Zai or whatever they fucking want to call themselves. They're like basically a way to train people how to murder and, and destroy. Be the worst possible. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Sweet. Uh, the Contras, another great example. Um, For sure. Of people who were taught by the School of the Americas. Then released back out into the wild. Yes. Where they murder. where they did heroic things like murder nuns. Oh no! Yeah. Yes, the scourge of society. Uh, scourge of society. I mean, you know, some nuns. Yeah, but sure. you know, but we most take them nuns on a nun, do not to deserve basis, to get really. raped and burned to <laughs> no. death. I'm oh, sorry. Definitely. Is that yeah. So name? again, I again, I keep getting angry, and I think I just I want people to get angry about this. This is just wait till we get to Victor's murder because I I've got like five things. So they basically enabled the militaries to take over these countries and set up right-wing juntas. Juntas? Juntas? juntas. I think we're going to go with juntas, juntas yeah. Really. Military dictatorships. Hara, junta. Uh-huh. The uh, totally. human rights abuses are well fucking documented. And so, yeah, they were provided training, support, weapons, military aid from 
Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan administrations. So that's how many years it's been? Oh, that's easily three or four decades. Right. Um, Again. But this in particular happened under Nixon? I think, uh, no, specifically Carter who started it. Okay. And Nixon, or I guess it might have been Nixon. Carter came after Nixon. No, it might have been Nixon who started. No, because it was, because this is one of fucking Kissinger's fucking projects. Kissinger. Why is he still alive? He should die. Where's my kiss? Yeah, fuck you, Uncle Kissy. Um, Please die. <laughs> uh, again, the CIA, they were the they were sort of the 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 front men for this operation. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. in Chile, Augusto Pinochet came to power, and I think Pinochet is a specifically interesting example because there are far right people who view pinochet as a more palatable alternative to worshiping hitler essentially oh, um, <laughs> one of the main He's ways light. he is actually that's a very fucking good way of putting that's it. that's a good second um, banana to hitler right there. Yeah, fuck um oh, wow. so pinochet did nothing wrong is a slogan that the alt-right likes to use as a way of saying hitler did nothing wrong right and um there's a meme in anti-communist circles called freak helicopter rides for commies which references a very common form of execution during pinochet's regime which was taking people up in a helicopter and flying over some mountains and just throwing them out and again like this is why i get angry is like this is these are there are people in the world who still idolize this kind of shit that's not and these are the people that want donald trump elected these are the people that want us to return to traditional values. I bet, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't. I, 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 I just. I, I understand. I, I understand it in a way. I also just anyone who thinks this way clearly has a sickness that they need to deal with inside of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Victor himself seized by soldiers along with many other activists and musicians at the university. They're taken to Estadio Chile, which is the largest sports stadium in Santiago or in the, not Santiago. Oh. This would have been, they got to go see a sporting, yeah. they got to go see a soccer yeah. match. It, it would have been. In yeah. Santiago. They totally got to go see a soccer match. Decent. Uh, if uh, you like, if, if you think of human heads as a soccer. Oh no. So yeah. Um, basically they take them to the stadium and basically it becomes a prison camp. They're held there deprived of food and sleep. They keep taking people out and shooting them. Um, Victor is of course being a fucking badass and singing songs keeping people's spirits up starts writing a new song talking about the horrors that he's seeing because are this this is like thousands of people they've heard it up and they're just kind of like executing them systematically type thing or like um it's like a jail it's like an all-purpose holding it's like a mass execution. detention facility it's basically like it's they're like detention. hey where's a big space that we can we can cram people in that has limited exits and we can post guards. And so there would be like a place where everyone stayed. And that's, then there'd be a place where they took people to interrogate them. Yeah. And then there'd probably be like, a place the where they like, take There's them. a big area that they can watch everybody. Uh-huh. But then there's smaller areas they can take people to do specific horrible it's Just things. like a controlled. Right. Do we know if that stadium still stands today? Yes. It's actually named after Victor now. Oh. Which uh, I'm sure I mean, he lo- he's really happy about. I mean, yeah <laughs> it's a tribute so i think it's a there are a, maybe a series of complexes um different complexes for different functions yeah that's probably true and as well. 
I don't know which one is specifically named after him, and I don't know which one this anecdote of mine is relating to, but I went to see... Um, I actually studied in Chile uh-huh, in, right. the mid, oh, nice. in the mid-2000s. And um, myself and some Chilean buddies of mine went from the coast where I was studying to Santiago mm-hmm. to see Pearl Jam play, um, oh, which nice. was the first right. time that they had ever been to Chile. I think it was probably what their first Latin American tour like whatever 10 years after the fact for for my involvement in being that interested in Pearl Jam however that band played two shows at the national stadium the Estadio Nacional and it was I think it's a 50,000 person venue maybe Mm 50 60,000 person venue Mm -hmm. and I bet you it was not Standing room only. Um, yeah, I bet you there wasn't a single empty seat in that whole place. Right, it yeah. was right. crazy. Was and that, sick show. I mean, they played really well. It was great. But the thing that stood out to me the most of the whole show, because we're looking like to set the stage a little bit, there is a, a generation of young Chileans at this stage who grew up listening to grunge music and alternative rock and like all this stuff and whatever. And uh, heavier music for whatever reason is very popular in yeah. Latin America. Uh, there's a tradition of heavy metal and like more aggressive music. And certainly, you know, Pearl Jam would fall under that, you know, uh, yeah. in, in they're a sort of the most pal- palatable for sure. In terms of being like pop, yeah. pop rocky ish, uh-huh. whatever, but right. turning around near the end of the show, the band after like two, encores kind of put down their instruments came out like the drummer came out from behind the drum kit and they all just stood there and they were clapping back at the crowd and i was like what's going on are you guys bowing or what and they just all the whole band just stood there looking up into the distance like gobsmacked and so i turned around i was on the floor and behind me there was a sea of you know whatever tens of thousands of people bouncing up and down chanting pearl jam and just, and it was one of the most. Yeah. That sounds real. <laughs> oh my God. I was, I, I cried. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. Wow. I was just like, this is an emotive experience right now. Yeah. And if these that like crazy. seasoned international rock stars are like. Holy shit. Yeah. Pearl Jam's yeah. seen it all. Like... blown by this. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. people have died at their festival concerts yeah. and all this stuff. Like they've been around, man. Yeah. And the first show um, that they played in this country, all these people had been waiting their whole like adult existences to see this yep. band play and it was completely off the hook anyways it was a very it was an amazing experience yeah, that's also a, that's you fantastic. were standing on murder grounds <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that but that was the other well show. i wonder, yeah. I wonder <laughs> um, if they named it after him as a kind of like way to oh yes no palate so, cleanser uh, like wash we're, up. we're getting there. Yeah, okay, okay, um, yeah, good, good. not to rush things along but uh <laughs> i'm gonna rush things along. <laughs> yeah uh, sorry so yeah um so after four days they released most of the prisoners but not victor they take him to a deserted area, and they smash his hands with a hammer, and then they oh. tell him to play guitar. Oh, that's mean. Again, these are the kinds of people that some people think are good. That's this is nice. well. In his defense, I'm oh, pretty no. sure he meant that ironically. He didn't actually expect him to play guitar. Yeah, Joe. No, he clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he responds Sad. by singing protest songs, and they riddle his body with over forty bullets. Oh. Ghouls. Very nice people. Yeah. Um, 
And then conflicting reports that his body was either just dumped in a pile with a bunch of other executed people or that they hung his body up as a warning. Uh, you know, standard desecration of your enemy's corpses is, is like pretty much fascist 103 if not 101 you know like that's the stuff you learn after you learn how which races are superior and all that you know yeah how to scare people again like i don't want to like again like yeah like Mm -hmm. using like it sucks and like on on one hand you know the the materialist atheist in me is like well it's a dead body so whatever but you know i think there is a there's a statement making there and like you know people with my politics have done that too and i wouldn't necessarily say that you know, I think Mussolini hanging from some rafters is a pretty good image that we should use a lot and show what happens to fascists. So, but yeah, so mm-hmm. his body is just sort of done. They do the classic thing of like mistreating it, hanging it up. Um, eventually, uh, it's found by civil servants. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if that means people who basically I and appointed that were sympathetic or just, you know, people who were like, it's like, hey, you, we need you to get rid of all these fucking commie bodies. You know, anyway, um, they brought it to a morgue and they identified him and contacted Joan, his wife. Um, she was allowed to retrieve the body on the condition. She didn't publicize it. Gave him a sort of clandestine burial in a general cemetery in Santiago and then fled the country with the masters of his recordings. Is it understandable? Is his grave, is his grave site marked? Is it like a... He's been, he's been reinterred in a specific grave site for him mm. now. Um, I Again, I don't know the exact... The original grave site was literally just like, we need to give this body its last rites. He right. was technically Catholic. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Um, just really not just leaving the body to rot in open air. Right. Um, and... Pinochet, in the meantime, suspends Chile's constitution, rules as a military dictatorship for over a decade. Um, The final count on people like Victor, who were kidnapped, disappeared, murdered, is around 40,000. It was recently, it was originally like 36 or something, and recently, no, it was like 30,000, and then they declared another like 9,000 and some people also were declared official victims of this who had not like again the 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 unofficial yeah. body count is probably much higher probably this is just probably people that they can confirm yeah um so yeah that's the kind of person we're dealing with is yeah you know, some big numbers yeah, yeah. i mean it's not fuck that guy it's not, not holocaust levels but no but still 10 is too many exactly. you know like Again, like throwing people out of helicopters for their political smashing beliefs. their hands, exactly. telling them to play guitar. These are not a, these are not people who. It's not like, a religious crusade. This is like, yeah, this is just this is just this is just you two sides of politics. Dirty commies and perfect natural authoritarian superior fascists. <laughs> yes. Phil Oakes in 1974, after this all happened, actually organized a memorial concert called "An Evening with Salvador Allende." Um, ironically, the tickets didn't do well until Bob Dylan signed on, and then they immediately sold out. There we go. Which sounds about right for 1974. And save the second bananas episode. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. It's all thanks to you. Oh, no problem. Um, And of course, Pinochet uh, implemented privatization, banned unions, uh, privatized Social Security, which is a big issue that chileans are 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 agitating for now is the is the returning social security to the government instead of private institutions which of course fuck over pensioners um Mm. and again 
made Chile's GDP wonderful. Oh yeah, uh, exceptional, exceptional and, and for course, the region. I love the way they say this. They're like, uh, it uh, in, it contributed to economic inequality. What? <laughs> it made a lot of poor people even poorer. And a lot of rich people way the fuck way richer. richer. Of course, um, as they privatized the industries, Pinochet's buddies got their pick. Pinochet, of course, I'm sure was getting plenty of percentages and kickbacks from this. He was valued at many millions of dollars when he died before he could stand trial, I might add. Oh. Um, what a jerk. Again, I'm I'm not that angry, but I'm pretty angry still. <laughs> um, and yeah, ruled for a decade. Um, Victor's music was, of course, banned, but people fought to keep it alive. Even when his when his death was finally officially announced, um, they tried to play a Hollywood movie after to soothe everybody. And an anonymous TV tech played one of his songs over top the movie. Whoa! He did, so pulled like an Andy Dufresne and like badass. just like yeah, set it, and set it, waited. and let it go. Well, I guess maybe he didn't get caught, but yeah. cool. Wait, way to go, way to go on that guy. Anonymous TV tech. Crawl through a half a mile of shit. <laughs> yeah. Play Victor's songs on the radio. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Again, like they said, it's anonymous TV tech, so we don't know what happened. But good um, for them. You know, yeah. well and again, done. like most fascists, uh, Pinochet lived the high life, and then eventually, as his crimes became more and more publicized, people had to disavow him publicly and stop giving him support. And he basically slowly lost power over time, became a limp noodle, and uh, Chile in the late 80s, early 90s transitioned back to a quote-unquote democracy. (laughs) Of course, not a left-wing democracy. Um, Very privatized, even more so than the United States. Very neoliberal. Very neoliberal. Um, Joan returned in 1984 to seek justice for Victor. Um, It took her... almost 20 years i would say even more so than that because if she was back in 1984 the trials didn't start happening till the early 2000s um i'll talk about more about that in her episode because that was sort of the latter half of her life was very much again as an advocate for victor unerasing him yeah Yeah. unerasing him exactly Mm. that's a really good way of putting it uh pinochet was arrested in 1998 could, did not stand trial before his death in, two, death in 2006. Of course, he likely profited, embezzled millions, and lived the fucking high life and shot people in the face without consequence, that kind of stuff. But I bet you all, his offspring are all upstanding. But he got really fat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shame on him. I don't know. I don't know what his if his family or whatever. I don't know. Um, I didn't. I didn't really want to look into that because I didn't nope. want to get more fucking angry. Uh, so yeah, again. 2003, they renamed the Estadio Chile, Estadio Victor Jara, which I'm sure Victor, looking down <laughs> from heaven, was like, great, thanks, uh, yeah. guys. That's what I <laughs> you wanted. You did it. That's really what I wanted. I didn't, want, I didn't want a socialist revolution. <laughs> I wanted a stadium named after me. Uh, he re- received a full funeral in 2009 with, of course, thousands of Chileans in attendance. Again, another really great gesture that I'm sure was really what Victor wanted. Um, and then in the late 2000s, several soldiers, not anyone big, of course, was charged with Victor's torture and murder. I'm not even going to bother the with people the, who are following the, orders. the people who are following the orders yeah. who were the ones that sort of like, they were basically wonder... mid-level officers whose lower levels turned on them for a lesser sentence, but they, they couldn't give up anyone because it would implicate, you know, U.S. politicians or 
government officials that were now or serving in the new democratic Chile, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, yeah, again, the workers get the short end of the well, and furthermore, stick. like I wonder if they're nobody, nobody it. from the U.S. who really got this whole ball rolling has ever been charged with any sort of crime. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, many artists have made tributes to Victor, um, including U2, The Clash, and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, some of that was original songs referencing Victor. Some of that was covers. Uh, that was Bruce actually would whenever they go to Chile, they actually cover. The E Street Band covers Victor's songs. Wow, that's so funny because nice. I didn't. Cool. I didn't even know he. I guess Bruce Springsteen. Do we think he is modeling himself like his look after? Well, yeah. I mean, Victor? I mean, I'm sure it's not. Yeah, because like, I didn't know any of that before. I like, made I mean, that comment. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's the connection at all, but well, I, mean, I would like, see you know what? Bruce Springsteen I mean, is reason, definitely. There's a reason working class people wear plaid shirts, and it's not for the looks. It's because they're extremely practical. Yeah. And uh, once you start wearing them, you just kind of form the habit. So, you know, I'm not. Solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it's fucking cool. And uh, mm-hmm. there was even a Russian rock opera about Victor called Stadium. I would love to find video of that. I have not been able to. Please right. let me know, if, even if it's in Russian. Um, like Joan well. has written a book called Victor, an Unfinished Song, but I cannot find it in print anywhere in North America. The cheapest one was like $200 on Amazon. So yeah. Uh, To this day, Victor is a symbol for U.S.-backed brutality in Latin America. Um, And again, essentially that brutality all was for the crime of not being profitable to colonial and capitalist interests. Woo! There you go. Yeah. Um, If you're not angry now, I hope that... (laughs) <laughs> when you reflect on this, you get angry. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, again, I think in the place we live, we kind of forget um, just how much our lifestyles and our culture is built on this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, and I mean, Canada has some mining operations and whatever, but Chile's main, I think, resource export is copper okay and so quite valuable a lot of the um telecom technology copper wires hardware that you know we probably used throughout our upbringings would have been sourced from if not Chile, a similar country. Joe, smash that new iPad. Through similar... Smash. I just bought a new iPad. I was looking at my outline on it. Well, the lithium batteries in this, guess what Bolivia has? God damn it. The world's largest lithium mine. Fuck. And guess what happened to the stock in lithium batteries after this fascist government was installed? Through the roof. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Wish I could have got in on the ground floor. I know. I should have, like... Right. I mean, I think, but these I think are the externalities the thing, like, of business. You know, there's right? sort of this stereotype of this leftist being like, Wall Street is built on blood, and people don't people don't understand because it's a level of abstraction. But like, once you start learning about this stuff, you can't even look at like in, investing a hundred dollars in stocks in the same way. And no. not that mm-hmm. I'm saying don't invest if that's a way to secure your future. I get it. Like, we all have to do like whatever but just be aware like a lot of these things are like mm-hmm. getting rich you cannot get rich without 
essentially building something on top of a bunch of corpses that were killed to get to that money and externalizing a lot of shit that affects a lot of real people and again like you know we are it is like you know i'm a socialist i believe in class analysis i believe in that kind of stuff but we can't ignore how race and uh gender and culture and all those things have been leveraged to build an underclass you know absolutely so absolutely and have been pitted against one another and we've touched on this on a number of different episodes uh to pit people of lower classes or just people in general against each other on other dividing lines such as race such as religion such as political persuasion whatever it is to benefit from the muddiness that results yeah from that because when we're fighting each other Mm -hmm. we're not spending our energy organizing well, like and concentrating the, our efforts against the, the actual the, people that the have right their feet wing versus hand. left in chile was not was a an issue that existed and there was you know like ground to be made there over like you know probably releasing that song about a priest and a young woman having sex did not get a lot of people that victor may have wanted to have on his side on his side that would would have benefited from what he was trying to do mm. poor people who were more tra- traditionally socially conservative but and yet we're working class people yeah. you know like on one hand like it definitely was like something that was part of who he was but it probably alienated people yeah. who may have been you know like had a lot more in common with victor than he realized for sure and that actually when you when you mentioned that particular point i was thinking a lot about that yeah. because of the whole weight of the influence of the church yeah. in in south america in general you know, and suddenly you're finding yourself at odds with your values and what you were raised to believe yeah. through your religion and your material reality from day to day and the politics that can, you know, help change that. Yeah. Um, and suddenly you have to make a decision between how you were raised and what you were raised to appreciate or value and your reality tomorrow next week when your kid when your kid has to decide whether they can continue going to grade school or if they should just join the workforce as a 13 year old or whatever because these are your realities but yeah i don't know pitting those things against each other within a person is complex enough let alone in a society at large right it's messy yeah yeah. Craig with the wisdom. <laughs> Said it. <laughs> Yikes. Well, we, I think yeah. I think we've figured it out like uh you know, Wes is the cute one, I'm the mean one, and Craig's the smart one. I'm the strong one. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you can be strong and cute. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I thought I was the odorous one. <laughs> the odorous one? <laughs> I don't know. I think, it, I think we're I, we can all be pretty odorous at times. Hi. Yeah um yeah that's pretty much all i have for victor i think um please listen to his music it's not it's not my favorite kind of music again i i too like the young chileans like the really heavy shit um the really (laughs) esoteric shit uh i think victor's stuff is very like like a lot of 60s folk stuff it's very like pretty a lot of finger-picked guitar really like lilting vocals yeah Um, how does it compare to bob dylan's music is it it's not a lot like Bob Dylan's. No. Victor can sing. That's the big difference yeah. between him and It's Bob not just Dylan. like, hey, and, hey, uh, hey, and, hey, well, hey. And again, like Bob Dylan has some great fucking songs. Don't get me wrong. He, right. Um, 
But again, like I think Bob Dylan's power is really in all the different things he does. Whereas Victor, Victor songs are very much like folk music songs. They there's not a lot of like they're different within that folk traditional folk metaphor, and they are very uh, not only Latin but clearly I I don't necessarily know what the specific indigenous influence is, but I can hear stuff in there that I'm like I don't recognize that as necessarily like latin or spanish music I, mm. so and like you know that's again like folk music is beautiful because it just like it's a blend of all kinds of traditions and up until the moment it becomes you know a commodity it's just this beautiful mixing of all kinds of cultural influences and that's what's amazing about it is like cross-cultural pollination for sure i feel like a lot of folk yeah if i may not necessarily folk but chilean music uh recos mm-hmm, not please. necessarily contemporary either, that's fine <laughs> but relatively um gondwana is a chilean gondwana. reggae band mm. who have some pretty good tunes and i think one of the more popular domestic chilean acts from recent history is a band called los prisioneros, los prisioneros. that i'm not <clears throat> as familiar with um as gondwana but they are a huge hit in chile and probably uh take a few pages out of that tradition yeah if not directly certainly there's got to be some influence there Uh um but yeah check either of those acts out for a bit of yeah kind of chilean flavor very cool Uh, definitely not folk but there might be some you know honestly just like check out music outside of North America, and totally. Europe, you know, like even and cinema like, too. Uh, while you're at it, oh, and honestly, all culture, all all you know, like cultural art, you know, mm-hmm. like um, I think one of the biggest things for me realizing that um, high culture didn't have to be a specific sort of like whatever was I went to Cuba and they have so many free art galleries you can go to that are a mix of both artists from 200 years ago and contemporary artists because to them it's just like we have these people who are cuban and they are artists and they are making unique interesting art and some of it is like totally just like a painting of fruit and some of it is like weird skeleton porn mm-hmm. essentially and it's, it's a painting but it's like you had yeah, skeleton sexual porn. skeletons and like but it's all art and it made me realize like yeah we don't have to necessarily there are other cultures where there's not this prescription on certain subjects being taboo as much. For sure. Or even if they are taboo, there's a, a space made for them because it's not all about profit and pleasing the lowest common denominator. Or even just other things like different cultures have different cultural envelopes and taboos and values that make consuming art from other cultures an interesting experience because you see things that aren't normally part of mainstream discourse here mm-hmm. that even if they are... Yeah more profitable or more whatever for capitalism in those cultures, they don't make it into cinema here or music here or art here. And yeah, you should check them out. Totally. visit. I think familiarizing yourself with the tradition in different cultures of mm-hmm. what it means to be an artist and the emphasis that different cultures put on artistry is can be eye-opening mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. remove Definitely. the blinders from our North American kind of who is an artist and who isn't and what is art. And what isn't absolutely for sure. And let us know any recommendations you have for yes, any. Yes, please. Uh, Especially if anyone is or... Chilean listeners, uh, Latinx listeners, whether you're, you know, someone who has Chilean parents or Chilean grandparents, uh, or any any Latin culture would be amazing. 
So, yes. Feedback, please. Please. Yeah. We would love to hear from anybody. Um, yeah, there will be some sources in the show notes. I will make a nice show notes. stew of various things, Gumbo. both serious and fun. And uh, thanks for listening to Second Bananas. Again, I'm Joe. You can find me at Stop Joe Now on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Wes. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Wes Walcott. And I'm Craig. And you can't find me. <laughs> <laughs> We'll find you one of these days. <laughs> We're never going to get tired of that joke. <laughs> um, yeah, so our next episode, I believe, is going to be about... Uh, next episode is going to... We're doing uh, Sybil Luddington. Uh, the female yes. Paul Revere. That's right. That's, That's right. the elevator pitch. But, um, yeah. Um, uh, on a second note, I think this... No, this episode will come out on the 17th, so never mind. Um... But uh, yeah, um, you can also email us secondbananaspod at gmail.com. We haven't set up social media yet, but we are going to. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, please, if you're listening to this, not on Revolver, um, please rate and review us on iTunes because it'll bump us up there and we can get more listeners and more people can be angry about Chilean death squads. Yeah, and it just makes us feel real good. And it does. It validates us. <laughs> Thanks. That's it. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.